chance to feel like heroes too Forever we'll win And if we should lose We know someday we'll go all the way Yeah, someday we'll go all the way Welcome back to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest on this episode is Evan Altman, the editor-in-chief of Cubs Insider, where, hey, I work. Well, work is a loose term, but I write there. Um, uh, we have an interesting discussion, mainly about what everyone's been talking about all offseason, the Cubs' apparent severe budget restrictions, and, you know, we just talk about what led this to be. Is it budget mismanagement? Is it bad deals by the front office? And in the end, we kind of decide it's a little bit of both. But we'll talk a little bit about a possible Chris Bryant trade or a Jose Quintana trade. And at the end of our discussion, uh, Evan gives an update on his daughter, Addison. And um, if you've been following on social media, she had some surgical procedures in the past few months, but everything's going well. And he talks about uh, what a great help uh, Shriner's hospital was and everything. And it's a really interesting conversation. And without much further ado, here's Evan. Okay, Evan, welcome back to Holy Cow. It's always good to have you on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to be back. There's, I know, not a whole lot going on, so it's, uh, I, I feel like the, the, my requests uh, have been few and far between, so it's always nice to, to actually get a chance to, to talk about the nothing going on rather than just writing about the nothing going on. It's great. Yes. So I guess, speaking of that, I mean, we were in kind of a similar situation last offseason, but there were moves made, and I mean, I guess I will just get right to it. Even today, you had David Kaplan saying that the Cubs aren't going to spend any money, which, I mean, we have eyes and ears. We have seen everything. We know that's probably not going to happen, but uh, just that this thing with the luxury tax seems like it's pretty rock solid, and it seems like the Cubs really aren't going to spend money on anything this offseason. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting, you know, and I think uh, Brett Taylor over at Bleacher Nation, I think he he added a lot of really important color uh, to the picture when when getting into all the stuff, uh, you know, beyond. Because if, if you look at it as just the luxury tax or, or competitive balance tax or whatever you want to call it, you know, that in and of itself should not be a deterrent to a team that is as big a market with as much revenue as what the Cubs generate. You know, we're talking about, I think they got hit for like 7.6 million uh, in 2019. And if they maintain something similar to that payroll, something in the, in the $240 million neighborhood, you know, they get taxed about 10 million bucks, which to you and I, 10 million, that's, that's a lot, but that's, that's Jose Quintana, right? That's, that's a, that's a bargain pickup. And if you look at that, spread that $10 million over the entire 40 man roster. And now all of a sudden it's not an exorbitant amount, right? So that, that in and of itself, but when you, when you are a multiple time offender of it, you miss out on certain rebates and, and credits. And, and so it could be, you know, depending on how things go, maybe another 20, $30 million, which that the Cubs would not get back from their, from their, you know, revenue sharing. And while it's not actually a penalty per se, because it's just money the Cubs aren't getting back, they're they're spending it already, regardless. But 
you know, even then it seems a little weird. And so I have to sit here and wonder, and, and I apologize for rambling and I'll wrap this up fairly quickly, but you know, you look at the comments that Tom Rick had shared really soon into the off season about, and he, he talked about the luxury tax. I'm sure there's a lot of a kind of a kibosh on talking about really the intricacies of the CBA and, and how that's preventing them from spending. And that means, I mean, any ownership group, but when he also came out later and shared in, in what I think was a, a pretty egregious, uh, egregiously dumb thing to say is that they went about a hundred percent over their budget for the renovations, which means they could have spent roughly a billion dollars. They maybe overran by, you know, anywhere from 300 to, to five or $600 million. And, you know, between debt service and other things they've got, if that is what is preventing them from being able to spend, if they, if they literally do not have the liquidity to be able to afford more payroll and it's not a matter of just being cheap, you know, for the sake of trying to make more money, but because they don't have it because they mismanaged things so poorly. And, and I'm, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic here, but if that's the case, you know, and going over and having that luxury tax from this past season really did hurt them. Uh, that's a problem. Like that's, that's just, that is not good. So I don't want to, I, I, I would almost rather, this be a matter of the Ricketts family being greedy and wanting to squeeze every last million dollars. As opposed to, you know, having like literally no money because that's not good. That is not so, good. So yeah. And I apologize for the super long answer, but I really felt like I needed to get that all out there. Well, yeah, it's just one of those things too, that you, you can't help but wonder like, and the stuff with the TV deal, is it being, you know, bungled with the new marquee network that there's some worries about it coming on, you know, will they get a deal with Comcast? And you're thinking, it is a question you kind of have to, like you're saying, you don't want to be hyperbolic, but are they running this team into the ground kind of, or the Ricketts family not that good at doing this stuff with the stadium overlays and this stuff with the TV network? Well, it, you know, it, what it seems like, so I'll, I'll, I'll use an example without, without trying to like humble brag too badly. Um, I, I, I got a new car recently, um, earlier in the year, just six or seven months, but it's, it was a brand new car when I got it. And, uh, and I really liked it. it had cool tires and rims and stuff. And then I, I got a bolt through the tire, uh, through one of my, my right rear tires. And, uh, and it uh, thankfully didn't deflate it. And I ended up being able to get it patched. But as a result, I actually looked at how expensive the tires were. And then I realized like, Hey dummy, maybe that's an expense you should have thought about before you bought this nice car. And, and I can't help but sort of equate that to what's going on now. And, and certainly the, the Ricketts spent a lot more to purchase the Cubs and, and do the upgrades around there than, than what I did on my car. But you, you sort of feel like, and, and again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but it's like they knew the brand of the Cubs. Obviously they were able to sort of finagle their way into this whole sale. And, and we're seeing now, you know, the, a court just ruled, uh, in favor of of the IRS in terms of a, a seventy three million dollar fine that's being uh, levied upon the Tribune company for for essentially cheating the tax code on the sale of the Cubs and that's part of the reason Mark Cuban didn't want anything to do with it. There's a lot of intricacies there, but uh, the the long way around this really weird analogy is that they they looked at this big shiny purchase you know of this Cubs team and and they knew they could pump some money in there and and that you know fans would come out and they'd have all these things happen, but I think you know, budgeting for the different areas and trying to keep those separate while generating these new revenue streams. 
I think they overplayed their hand in a big way with a lot of this and really had unrealistic expectations or they had maybe realistic expectations and then things broke a certain way. Um, certainly nobody saw the Cubs underperforming as poorly as they have, uh, you know, really down the stretch the last two seasons. And that does kind of hurt. If you don't make the playoffs, then people aren't filling up those bars and hotels and restaurants that uh-huh. you've spent all your money on. And, and so that, that comes in, as you mentioned with Marquis, that is not coming along nearly as well as what they would have liked. And the fact is the Cubs are a, are a partner in it. The Cubs are not just the team to which this regional sports network came in and said, Hey, uh, you know, I think that the Dodgers are getting like whatever it is, 8.3 billion or something over 25 years, or maybe maybe it's more than that, but it it amounts like $320 million per year that the Dodgers are getting for theirs. 320 million. That would really help a lot. Right. And 8.5 billion. I'm sure there's some upfront. The Cubs don't have that. They didn't get upfront money. They put up the money for the facilities. They put up a lot of the capital into this. And now they are having to go out and mostly with Sinclair, their partner, Sinclair's doing the pitching, but the Cubs need that carriage. They need those cable deals in order to clear any money from it. They need advertising. The advertising can't be charged. You can't charge as much for advertising if you don't have as many subscribers. So they don't have any guarantees. They've said Marquis should turn this great profit and, and be better than what their old deal was. But that's only something that gets realized after the fact. They don't get. They didn't get a big upfront push from it. And if they're sitting there without 1.5 million households in the greater Chicago area from Comcast, that is a problem. And I don't think they had the foresight to think they talked so much about avoiding the problem the Dodgers had with Sportsnet LA that can't be seen by millions of fans in the Los Angeles area. But they didn't really go about it. They just figured, oh, this is kind of ours. It's this homespun thing. It's going to be more grassroots. We can sell this. We can pitch this. And then they go into it with two crap seasons or, you know, closing out kind of two crappy seasons mm-hmm. and potentially trading some of their all-star caliber talent. And they wonder why people aren't really lining up to just throw money at them for this thing. And I, I think there's, uh, there's just so many numerous things. And I, and I, I keep getting caught up in this. I, like I could go on for far longer than you probably want to listen to me. And, and anybody listening to this can tell it's still amazing to me. I just think there's, I don't want to say this is all the Cubs fault and that they've screwed up at every turn, but there are a series of events that simply have not worked out the way they thought, or that have worked out uh, to a much lesser extent than what they had imagined. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And it, no, it just is. It's one of those. And, you know, I guess on the other hand, you had like when the Tribune company sold, of course, they did this crazy, um, I don't know what else I can say, fattening up the team, you know, Soriano, all these signings to try to make the team more appealing to sell. And you almost were expecting, I don't know if I was expecting this, but when we were talking about Marquis like three or four years ago, there was an expectation, you know, maybe they were trying to just keep the fans satisfied or whatever, but there was this talk like we're going to really accelerate the spending when this new network launches. And it's one of those things where, You'd read it all over the place in all these articles, you know, once the TV, that that's a stream of revenue that's going to open up. And it's one of those things where you almost feel like you were sold a bill of goods, but obviously they're unintended. You set something up like this, but it was kind of, if you look at the articles from three or four years ago about this network and then now what's going on, it's kind of shocking. You know, it is. And I think. This is going to sound really dumb, um, you know, in a vacuum, 
like we look at this and, and certainly no one would ever 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 give back the 2016 world series that that would be ludicrous but the team really came on a year earlier than anyone had expected right 2015 that season they you know came together and and they just were the best team in baseball down the stretch and won 97 games and which is really wild when you think about it is that they won 97 games still finished third in the central right third best record in baseball third best record in the central division uh behind the the pirates and the cardinals that year but then you know they come back they're the favorite the whole time through in 2016 they win but if if you think about you know if 2016 had kind of been if we if we push things back a year 2016 had been the big one the 2017 they you know they they win it all and and then maybe 18 and then if things don't really fall apart then that's really the problem is things have fallen apart these last couple of years so now you've got this team that was supposed to be at the top of contention for the division for the pennant maybe for the world series these last few seasons you can much better justify spending more money you can easily if they you know if the cubs were within a couple of outs or even a game or whatever they're in the world series this past season if they make it there there's no way you go through this and say, well, we're going to cut salary. We're going to trade our top players. You absolutely add and you you look at the luxury tax or the other penalties and you and you laugh at them, right? Because you've raked in all this money from the playoff gate, from all the people drinking and being happy in all the bars. But that hasn't happened. And then when you miss the playoffs or when you don't have any, uh, any significant home playoff games for a couple seasons, you know, when that stuff kind of falls apart, then it's much harder. It's or it's, it's harder to justify spending money to many fans. It's easier to justify not spending money, <coughs> excuse me, or maybe even spending less money. But the problem with that is it's coming right on the cusp of trying to launch this television network. And so it's, you know, it's the worst timing. If you had this team that was competing as they were supposed to, there's no way you'd be waiting on a deal with anybody to get marquee. Everybody would want this. But now... The Cubs have split off, and guess what? Comcast Sportsnet Chicago has the White Sox, who have spent $200 million, I think 201 If you add in uh, Luis Roberts' contract, then you've got like $250 million they've spent this season. And they're the team in Chicago to watch. They have a more attractive product to put on television than what the Cubs do. And so it's just the, the timing of it is just so wild. And I, I, I can't imagine, like not even the most skeptical person thought it would come down the way it has. Uh, but, but it has, and maybe, maybe next year they have the money, be it from marquee or from getting out from under the, the competitive balance issues if they have, but boy, the timing of this is just so bad on multiple levels. Yeah. And it's, I guess we should shift to that a little bit. It's just, it's something I've kind of been circling around for a while, but it's, you know, they get to the world series, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer do can do pretty much no wrong from. I'd say about 2013 through 2016. You know, pretty much everything they do, give or take a couple minor examples, comes through. Every move seems to hit and return. And it's just like the last four years since that World Series, it's been like they've struck out a lot. I mean, is it, you know, but they've won the World Series, so you're very hesitant to say. But, I mean, we're going to have to start opening up a little bit more criticism on this front office because – a lot of their recent moves have not worked. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's no way, you know, and I, the one of the issues I have with the general criticism about things is is it it seems as if people are kind of like taking these sides. Like on one hand, you've got people saying, "Oh, ownership sucks," and they're being cheap and they won't give anybody any talent. And on the other hand, they're like, "No, ownership 
look at all the money they spent. Theo and Jed are horrible. And it's like, well, you know, maybe we kind of come in here somewhere in the middle and look at it like the people running business operations. And that, that goes from the Ricketts family on down, uh, you know, and be that Crane Canyon and, and the business operations side, I think, have have overextended some things and overestimated pretty heavily the value of their product and, and kind of how those things would, would work. And then on the baseball ops side, I mean, let's be honest, like there's nobody who will look at that and say, Oh yeah, these guys have done a great job with developing talent because they haven't, they've done a horrible job. If you take away their top draft picks, they don't have anybody on that team. You know, maybe David Bodie is like the closest to being, you know, and he wasn't like a 50th round pick or anything. Yeah. That's what um, I was going to ask. I was saying, you know, I was thinking about the other day. Do they have even from other than first round picks, how many picks do they have that have made a sizable impact since they took over? And I really can't think of any. None. They, they have done an absolutely terrible job that and, and everybody focuses on pitching. And that's, that's an obvious gripe as well. Right. And that's one that even they have acknowledged time and time again, they simply have not developed the pitching and that's, that should start changing. And, and a lot of that is as a result of a philosophical change that they kind of made a couple years ago. And, and now we've, you know, they've made a big deal out of changing their development team on both the pitching and hitting side. And, and that should pay some dividends this year and, and probably more next year and beyond, but they have done an awful job of their development of anyone outside the first round. I mean, on, on any kind of a, of a bigger level. I mean, how many times you see this with these other teams, you're wondering like, how are these guys, how, you know, how do the Dodgers keep getting these guys coming up? How do, you know, whatever team, uh, how does this keep happening? I mean, even uh, the White Sox got them a lot through trades, but you have to think like at some point, right? Some guy who got drafted in the fifth or the seventh or the 12th round has to sort of come alive and, and start doing well. Right. But the Cubs haven't gotten that. And I, that's, I don't want to say it's a dirty little secret. I don't think it's really a secret at all, but that's where a lot of that comes from. Because if all you ever do is, and it's awesome, you know what, at one point they had like, what, six consecutive number one draft picks of theirs, you know, playing on the roster at the same time. If you go back and Javi Almora and Bryant and Happ and Schwarber uh, were all playing, so I guess that's five. But none of them were pitchers, and none of them were outside the top half of the first round or thereabouts, right? The top outside the top 20 or whatever. So that you can't sustain a team that way, uh, whether it be because those guys aren't necessarily, you know, one of them. And, and certainly we've seen Almora kind of backslide and, you know, other guys have, have done pretty well one way or the other, but what happens when Ben Zobris has to retire or when, you know, Anthony Rizzo's hurt and you got to bring a guy in there and put him in it, whatever the case may be, or Chris Bryant's traded. I don't know. Um, it, it, that's the part where they've really been hurt that in the pitching. And it's, it's amazing for how quickly they developed that farm and, and made it, you know, produce these guys. But I think part of that was just, Hey, when you draft really high and you, and they did, they hit on those guys, they all did well and they made it through. But beyond that, it's almost as if they just, they paid so much attention to that major league club that they really weren't concerned with what was going on in the minors. And it came back and bit them in the ass in a really bad way. These last few seasons. Exactly. I mean, you're ahead of like the Royals who famously for years were missing on number one picks, like the first round picks. But yeah, it's still, you haven't gotten that. And, you know, they always had the strategy with, you know, we're going to get the big name free agent pitchers at first. 
and then we'll develop our own pitchers. But the window will be, you know, we're going to open the window with these big-name pitchers, and then we'll have younger pitchers come in and eventually fill those roles. But right now, as the start of our rebuild, we're going to bring in these big-name free agent pitchers. But it's like they did that, but then there was no young pitchers coming in at the end of the window. So, it, yeah, it's kind of like, well, the first part of the plan worked, but the second part, not so much. Yeah, and that was, and that was the tough part, right? Is that, yeah, well, hey, you can you can pay for John Lester and, and you Darvish and, and get these guys in here and, and get some pitchers who are a little bit older and maybe, you know, overpay for them relative to the market. That's part of the problem I have with all these, you know, the, the uh, revisionist history on somebody like Darvish or on Jason Hayward. Hayward is, is a particularly interesting study for me because I'm like, other teams were actually offering him more money than what the Cubs did. You know, the Nats and the, and the Cardinals both offered, I think, in the, in the $200 million range. And so everybody's, you know, oh, how the Cubs are so stupid. It's like, he, he actually took less. You know, and they gave him some options and things like that, but he actually took less to come to Chicago than he could have somewhere else, which, again, is is really neither here nor there, but with your idea that, yeah, it was supposed to be, hey, we'll pay big for pitchers now. We're going to bring up all these young hitters, and by the time those guys are due for their extensions or, you know, are about to hit free agency, we got to really pay them. Well, by then, those pitchers will have aged out, and we'll have these young guys coming up. So now we have pitchers who are not paying anything, and the hitters are more expensive, but it balances and that hasn't happened. And at the same time, the hitters are starting to kind of pile up with this sort of similar mentality and similar plate approach and have kind of this hit or miss sort of thing. And you, you kind of stack your lineup with all these similar hitters. And the league sort of caught up with that with the whole juiced ball. Maybe that comes back around. But, yeah, it's just they they misplayed and were not able to, you know, when you make a gamble like that, it's going to be three or four years before you really know whether or not it's going to work. And clearly we saw starting a couple years ago, like, Hey, they still haven't developed any pictures. This isn't going to look good. And there's nobody coming up yet. Um, you know, it could start this year or next year, but not to an extent where they're going to be able to pay all these hitters and have enough pitchers come up that they, you know, can avoid the free agency market there. So it's, it, it could get a little dicey, but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out over the next, you know, maybe next winter, I think, is going to be really telling. Yeah, so I guess I'll ask one more thing. You know, there's all this momentum, especially early in the offseason, about, you know, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant. Where are they going? They're getting traded here. They're getting traded there. They're getting traded everywhere, you know. And then we got this drama with the grievance with Bryant that still hasn't been settled yet. But now we're starting to hear a little more whispers the other way, that they might not trade Chris Bryant, like, what was the report the other day that the Cubs are asking extreme prices, like way over the top prices for Bryant that no one's willing to meet. And people are starting to talk like, maybe we'll keep Bryant. Maybe we'll keep Contreras. So do you think the momentum to trade these core pieces is fading? Or do you think, yeah, let's probably still get moved. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, the momentum maybe seems to be fading simply because, you know, that's it's, there's sort of some inertia there because just nothing has happened at all. You know, you look at a team that has spent literally zero dollars in guaranteed major league contracts, right? They have done nothing. We keep hearing, again, as you mentioned, uh, the grievance, you know, Josh Donaldson still hasn't signed. And, you know, that seems to be dragging out because he set his price at $110 million and all accounts are that nobody's willing to meet that price. And, and so you have sort of this 
this like last year there was sort of the duel uh, between Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and you know who's going to sign first and where they're going to sign and how are these dominoes going to fall and that dragged out and you know there's there's an expectation or an expectation however you want to actually pronounce it that that Bryant will have that grievance settled which is amazing that it's still not but that it'll be settled here you know within a week or so at whatever point that maybe means and we know that arbitration numbers are due Friday so I, I do think there's an expectation that the talks are going to increase at that point. But if he really does have two years left, I mean, if the Cubs move this guy for anything less than just a massive haul, they've set themselves back because we're talking about an MVP caliber player and the, the likelihood of getting back commensurate value for what he can provide, uh, despite what a lot of people say about his, uh, his talent production, uh, a lot of foolish people. It's really tough to get that back. And the same thing for Wilson Contreras, who's not only cheap, but still under control for three seasons. And and the Cubs know that. I mean, they're they're smart. But, you know, is is another team that's a tough part. No team is picking up Bryant. No, no bottom feeder or middle tier. Like somebody who's trading for Chris Bryant is is win now. Win this year or next year, or both. That's what they're going for. But the Cubs aren't trying to rebuild completely. They're trying to retool. So they say, like, re- retool on the fly or whatever, which means they really, maybe they punt one season, but they want to be competitive 2021, 22, beyond, which means they need to get back major league ready talent that is ready to compete right now and has the type of stud impact players who could be at the majors this year or next. Are they going to be willing to part for them for a more expensive Chris Bryant? It's, that's a quandary, and that's what I keep like bumping my head up against is that the teams that would trade for them, well, that's that should be the Cubs. The Cubs should be in a win now, so they should keep him. So is it just a salary dump? I, I keep going back and forth. So I haven't really answered your question. I don't think the momentum has really changed, and I do think anything is possible. But honestly, I'm at the point now where nothing would shock me, but I just think what the Cubs need to get in return and what they're asking is going to be so difficult to find a match for that it's not going to happen. Yeah, and my prediction now, which I'm sure will go wrong because that's the predictions they're meant to do, but I just think that if they really want to dive under this luxury tax, you know, threshold that they keep talking about, this $208 million, then it's just going to be something like they're just going to dump Quintana or Chatwood because that will get them underneath. I don't know which one, but they're just going to dump, maybe cut a Descalzo. I don't know, but they're going to that seems like a much easier move to just unload a Quintana and save $11 million and get under the cap. If that's all they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's really the move and, and that would be pretty sad, but I, I think I had something of, of the, something similar to that. You know, it's it, like, you don't, you don't move Bryant and then suddenly decide, well, we're going to take less just to give up his salary. That would be foolish because if it's just a salary dump, then yeah, there's, I mean, that's, and, and they, they we'll have something coming out, uh, not for myself, but from another of our writers on, on Cubs Insider here pretty soon about how moving Quintana is the most practical and realistic move. Because, like you said, that drops $10 million off. You're under the CBT at that point, and you still have, you know, maybe a little bit of wiggle room. But he's a legitimate, when you look at the money being given out to starters these days, you know, 10 or 11 million or whatever he's making, that's, really, really good right now for a guy who can come in there and slot into the middle of the back half of your rotation. A lefty goes out there, throws 200 innings most years. 
there's a lot of value in that. And they don't even need to get back much in return. They can slot some of these other younger guys in, bring up a pitcher, whatever. And if you're going to make a salary dump, that's what it is. Or, or like you said, with Chatwood, there's another one bounced back, looked pretty good last year, has some wicked stuff when he's close to the plate. If it's a salary dump, those are the guys you dump. Yeah, it, it just seems like that's simple logic to me. And I guess then I guess the question would be, is it a downgrade to go from the Quintana to Alec Mills? I think it is, but I don't think it's that much. Of the, if the goal here is to save money, which I guess is clearly what, I mean, if we're reading the signals they're sending, if the goal is just to save money at all costs, then yeah, just because not many fans, I mean, fans in the know like you and me and people that really invest in the team might go, well, Quintana gives you value and stuff, but for the average fan, they're just, oh, Quintana, whatever. So if that's, I guess, the goal, then, yeah, it seems more than trading Chris Bryant is going to be a big blow to the public perception of the team. Oh, yeah, and say, same for Wilson Contreras. You know, I mean, you take a guy who's who's just, uh, you know, and, and, and Bryant certainly been the face of the franchise to an extent. You know, I, I think not, not as much so as, as Rizzo, who's been there longer and, and kind of out in front a little more vocally. But we talk about legitimately the best player on the team, that's Bryant. You talk about kind of the heart and soul, that's, you know, going to be Contreras and Javi. You move one of those guys, and, and both of those guys are, are the kind of people who you would want to have on a new television network, right? But Jose Quintana, yeah, okay. I mean, mid-level, back-end starter, nothing spectacular, isn't out in front with the media, is not a talkative guy, not a, not a bad guy by any stretch, but not beloved to any stretch either like nobody's even his fans the you know and I've, I've actually been kind of a fan of his but he's just he's sort of just a guy and so yeah like you said you move on from him that's not a problem that's not a guy who's going to be uh on tv you know who you're looking to promote in different ads for you know whatever car dealership or whomever's looking for a spot um that's not the telegenic type of of player you're really looking for so if you can make a move and, and part with it, and, and honestly, there's probably some fans who think he's bad and, and would love to move on from him and it might actually be a good thing. But, um, yeah, or, or Chatwood, same way. You know, he pitched really well last year and, and has some talent, but he's not a guy who fans are going to miss. And if we think about the kind of the psyche uh, and the philosophy with which Cubs business operations sort of, sort of runs, you know, it's like, how do we make fans as possible in order to make as much money as possible? Well, the way you do it with a new TV network is to keep guys who look good and who fans like and uh, move on from guys who fans don't give a crap about. And so there's, there's a couple of those guys that they could find a way to move somehow. So we'll see. Yeah. I think we'll just leave it at that. But yeah, it's if, if this is about just the money, which it seems like it is, then that's what you do. I mean, if, if they really think that this will, they're retooling the team, and that trading Brian to make the team better, I don't agree with that, but I can see that. But if it's just about money, then yeah, um, no offense to Quintana or Chatwood, but if it's all about just saving money, then it seems like that would be the way to go. Yeah, we'll see. And, and maybe they, you know, again, one of the other thoughts is maybe you package one of those stud players with Jason Hayward and someone else, and you, you find a way to move out from under that counter. But again, if we're talking that, then it's absolutely, again, it's absolutely a salary dump and you're really wasting a prime year of a lot of players. So, uh, you know, I think, I think we're going to learn a lot over the next two weeks or so. I mean, certainly by Friday, we're going to know 
uh, you know, recording this year on, on a Wednesday. So Friday, the whatever that is, the 10th, uh, when our numbers have to be exchanged, we're going to probably get a really good idea of that. Are the Cubs trying to lowball? And I have a sense that they are going to try to come in well below the estimated projections for these guys because that's another way that they could save a couple hundred thousand dollars here, half a million dollars there, um, you know, maybe a couple million overall on these arbitration numbers, which would get them under, because right now the the CBT number we're talking about is only projected. They can get down under that from that, gives them a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more leverage with some things, and uh, and then, you know, we should find out about the Bryant grievance. So I think within these next couple of weeks, we're going to get a really, really good idea of how serious the Cubs are about trying to make some blockbuster moves to like legitimately restock a bunch of stuff or whether they are truly in it to try to save a couple bucks. Yeah. So uh, now I'll do one more thing before we go, because I think this is really great what you've been doing um, with your daughter, Addison and everything with Shriners hospital. So I thought I'd let you give a little pitch to everyone and, you know, just helping Shriners and what a great job it did with you guys and everything. Yeah, thank you. I, I I appreciate that. And and it's it wasn't something that we uh you know were really aware of when we we got uh, referred out there. Uh, so you know, my daughter uh, was born; she has congenital scoliosis. So we discovered it. Um, which is a couple months old. Something just looked a little off, and and we had taken her here to a a local children's hospital uh, that I won't name, but but that is uh, named after a a very famous uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback from the Indianapolis Colts. But um, but they were not really able to facilitate um, the the type of significant surgery and and uh, and procedures she would have to have. There's also Riley Hospital for Children or Riley Children's Hospital here in Indianapolis, um, which I was a patient at many many years ago, and they do some things. But again, we were referred elsewhere, so we, we went to Shriners. Um, they this is you know they treat only children. They have various locations throughout the country, some of which are more orthopedic, some of which are uh, specialized in burns. And so it's a really small location. It was out in the in Boringville of St. Louis. But um, from the moment we went out there and, and had to do kind of the uh, the orientation, if you will, and, and met everyone, like every single person was, and I know it's a hospital and it's a children's hospital and you expect people to be nice, but every single person we encountered just seemed genuinely, you know, not, not nice because they want you to come to their hospital or whatever. And they want to, you know, they want to charge you for the claims or uh, just whatever. They were all legit. And, uh, you know, as we started looking at what her process was going to be through, she had to go through six weeks of halo gravity traction, which is just a, she had a, a an actual halo implanted, uh, in her skull and, and had weight attached to it to balance that out, help kind of stretch her spine out. And then she underwent two, spinal fusion surgery. So we knew that she was going to be there for about two months. Um, she loves to read. She loves to do all these things, but being an inpatient for that long, we wanted to raise a little bit of money. Um, just, you know, and I set a goal for like a thousand bucks, uh, so we could buy her some books and buy some games and, and donate a lot of that stuff there to the hospital for other kids. And, and it really ended up taking off pretty nicely. And, and so we, we certainly, we exceeded that goal. Uh, so many times over, we were able to buy uh, some additional walkers, uh, because kids who are in halo traction have to have a, a walker to which the whole, uh, the weight police system is a strictly on donations, right? I mean, they charge claims and insurance companies will pay for that stuff, but you know, they're, they're 
it's a small place. They only have six inpatient rooms. There are times when Addison was the only patient there uh, over the course of a weekend. And so having those books, having those games, and they had a lot of stuff there, but we were able to buy an iPad for the recreational therapy area and do a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I think, and, and a lot of that was generosity of people just because they know me through uh, Cubs Insider, or various podcasts or whatever. I'm uh, from that public persona. But I think, you know, if you're out there looking to give some money because of the hospital, you know, I have really good insurance through my, through my actual work. And as a course, over the course of Addison's various physical ailments, we had met that deductible and that helped um, eventually to pay off for a lot of those things. But Shriners will accept people who have no insurance, um, who have very little insurance, who couldn't otherwise afford to, to pay for certain things, who don't have the wherewithal or the public reach that uh, that I, I did. And so that, to me, uh, spoke volumes just about because they're they're doing that there uh, for the just for the good of things, you know, they are doing it legitimately to help children and to help families. And, you know, when you see those commercials and and St. Jude's another one, when you see those commercials, like that's not just lip service, that's legit. And so if you ever do see one and you have a couple extra bucks, or if you're looking for something sometimes around the holidays, I know giving is kind of big. uh, I highly recommend it. And, and it's, it's just a tremendous help to those families that do have to spend that much time there. So that was a really long commercial, but I appreciate you. Let me ramble on it for a little bit. Yeah, of course. And yeah, so everyone, if you can uh, donate to it, it's a great cause. And um, I just want to add that from you're giving all the updates all the time, but Addison's back in school and she's doing pretty good. So that's uh, great to hear. Yeah, it's, it's been really neat. Um, and, and she's got a long way to go yet, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, and, and I think she, um, sometimes my, you know, my kids will see, maybe, maybe I'll run into somebody at a Cubs game and they'll, somebody will recognize me and my kids are around and they, they think that's kind of weird or, you know, they'll hear me on the radio or something like that. And and that's kind of trippy, but I think it really hit home when, you know, she'd be in the hospital and getting packages from people or, or having people send her stuff from her Amazon wish list And, and it was just from names from people. And sometimes it'd send cards or something. They're like, Hey, you know, I'm a Cubs fan whatever she get Cubs cards and things like that. And so to see that kind of outpouring of support from people that she'll, she's never met and, and likely will never meet. Um, th- that was really cool. So, you know, just a heartfelt thank you, uh, to anyone out there who's, who's listening to this, who, if you were a part of that, if you, if you thought about us, if you prayed for Addison, if you sent something, I mean, anything like that, like that stuff all meant so much to us. And it was really cool because let's face it, we're all kind of on this, we're online quite a bit. We're on social media and it's not always the most fun place to be. And people can sometimes get a little bit rude or what have you, but that really, um, that really came through and kind of showed that, you know what, the, the world isn't always just kind of this rude, nasty place. It was, that, that was really, uh, that kind of opened my eyes. Uh, so hopefully I can keep a little bit of that good, uh, good karma around and, and maybe, maybe I can do a little bit better with that myself. Yes, that's, that's the hope. And we can all, Try to avoid reading Facebook comments on our articles. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, Evan, thank you, as always, for coming on. And uh, you can find his work on Cubs Insider, as well as mine sometimes, when I can come up with ideas that uh, something to write about, which has been hard this off season. But, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll look forward to, to maybe having some more uh, some more lively topics over the next couple of weeks that we can actually cover rather than just repeating the same old nothing burger.
Yep, exactly. <laughs> you can find Evan at D. Evan Altman on Twitter. I'm at STH85. If you have a question for this podcast, uh, you can email the pod at holycowpod at gmail. Holycowpod at gmail. Uh, you can find Holy Cow on Apple Podcast app. You can find it on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you have anywhere else you want to want me to put the podcast, just let me know, and I will try to put it on those platforms. And until our next episode, thank you as always for listening.